Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me I had bipolar. I was sent home with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using loud music as a form of therapy. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Self-harm and disordered eating is something a lot of punks talk about, especially in relation to their youth. The pain they feel inside leads to punishing themselves. In the case of Yasmin Nur, a Kansas musician who has a song called I Wanna Throw Up, music was a way to cope and pull herself out of the darkness. When she discovered 90s alt-rock and punk bands with powerful women in them, they inspired her and blew her creative world wide open. Yasmin treats songwriting as a diary, a way to redirect self-harm into self-expression, out of her head and onto the page, and into her fingers and out of the guitar. Seems like a simple formula, but it's an epic, ongoing struggle that folks like Yasmin confront every day. Yasmin Nur. I'm from Wichita, Kansas. I've been writing music and doing music for about maybe 10 years. I started playing guitar in my bedroom when I was 13 after going to a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> and then I got a little bit older and figured out that girls play rock music too. And it really changed everything for me, the 90s queens. And music has really just helped me find myself and get out of my shell and feel a comfort when I've been in like the darkest places I could ever be. Music has always been a place where I can be honest and tell nothing but the truth and be so vulnerable. And then afterwards, it just feels such a weight off my shoulders. It's like a check-in for me. So going from Taylor Swift to listening to rock bands in the 90s must have been a huge jump for you. Yeah, no, I am. Uh, my friend had tickets to see Taylor Swift at like the big arena in Wichita and she like took us and a couple other friends. And I remember like just watching her and I was like, that looks like so much fun. Like I would love to do that. And I always loved music growing up. My parents have really good music taste. My mom would play super good music on the way to school every day, like Linda Ronstadt, Sammy Davis Jr., stuff like that. And then I got a little bit older and I was working at this used CD store when I was in high school. I was like 15 or 16. It was my first job. 
And I was sorting through the CDs and I found the Eight Arms to Hold You by Veruca Salt. And I remember I'd heard a couple songs off of it. So then I went, I bought it after work and I went home and listened to it. And like, it was like my mind just exploded. I had heard of Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that stuff, but seeing it done by women and seeing them be like so badass and so powerful, it was such a change for me. You talked about picking up a guitar after going to the Taylor Swift concert. How did your music change or shift when you started to hear these rock bands that were made up of women that were super strong and they were screaming and it wasn't pop music anymore. I feel like my music, no matter how heavy I make it, I still have sort of that like pop element behind it. I do love pop music. Like I love so many different types of music, but I do think the pop formula is something that I often resort to, but I love putting my own like heavy, heavier twist on it like I love telling a story and making the song so raw and so emotional but having it have really heavy guitar but like soft vocals dark lyrics with the feminine voice it's just like my perfect formula that I like to put together darkest times what does that mean what sort of things did you go through that brought you to that place I have struggled a lot of my life with feeling secure like with the way that I look and the way that I am and where I come from. My dad's an immigrant from Bangladesh and my mom's American. I've just always struggled feeling secure within myself growing up in Wichita, Kansas. It's not like very small, but it's also not super big and it's definitely not diverse. I think people are surprised when they come here, seeing how diverse it is and how many people live here, but it is definitely predominantly white and In middle school, I went to a predominantly white school and I was around a bunch of girls that had super long, straight blonde hair and were really skinny and and rich. And and I had curly hair and darker skin and a wider nose. Now I look at myself then and I'm like, you didn't need to feel any type of way about that. But at the time it was like, why can't I feel like I'm fitting in with all these people around me? Like I look so much different. And so that definitely spiraled into having really bad body image issues and just being really insecure about the way that I felt around these people and definitely like started affecting me in a really bad way and put me in a really bad headspace and brought on really negative thoughts about my body. And I struggled on and off for like three and a half years with bulimia. That's what my I Want to Throw Up song is about. That was such a comfort for me and like a a crutch. I had really bad problems in high school with self-harm too. And I just think about how in the place that I was when I was 16, how I was like so, I was hurting so much. And then I really, really started playing music and writing music and use that to pull myself out of it. Because my all my music is, it's like a diary page. Everything I write is about somebody in my life or something I've been through, or something that happened. Like, I don't write songs about things that haven't happened to me. I use these songs to document events in my life. And I am so happy that so many people resonate with I Want to Throw Up. I've had people message me and say that it helped them through their eating disorder. And I just read those messages and, like, tear up because it's just the most amazing feeling ever. Because if only people knew, like, 
how I felt when I was writing that song, you know? <laughs> Recently, I was talking to somebody in my support group, and they were talking about how their mental health is very much connected to the environment around them. And going from being in that school that you described and being alien in a weird place, no one understood those kinds of things. Going from that into playing music and feeling alive and whole in some ways, I would imagine that really shifted and changed your your mental health and your self-harm. Yeah, and it, it, it gave me a place to put the emotions that I was feeling that I was putting my body through all these terrible things that I'm so young and I don't need to be doing these things to myself. But I'm like just sitting in my room, like just writhing and like <laughs> pain and all these feelings that I just couldn't get out. And I just started writing music and I see the reaction of my vulnerability. That's the best part. I want to be as vulnerable as possible when I write music because I want people to see that like I feel those intense, extremely dark feelings. Because when you're in those places, you're like, what is going on? Sometimes you don't even know how to ask for help from anybody. And I just started writing and like I used to do a lot of art in high school. And then that was another outlet for me. Like I used to paint and I was in art classes all the time. I had the best art teacher ever in high school. Her name was Miss Sally. And she changed my life. I think about her all the time. We're friends on Facebook still. She comments on my stuff. <laughs> but she helped me too. She she just helped me see I had so much creativity and so much emotion inside of me. It was just important for me to like get it out in some way. And that's what I've learned the older I've gotten is in order for me to cope with the negative things that I feel about myself, I have to like let out how I feel onto whether it's painting or music or a poem, like I just have to get it out. I can't sit with it. You mentioned Veruca Salt as being one of the bands that you got into, the first mm -hmm. band that you got into on the rock side. Do you remember the feelings you had when you heard them and other bands that you heard and that empowerment that they were giving you and then trying to do that for other folks? I remember the first time I heard that song, I was in the car with my best friend in high school. Her name was Maddie and I think she was like smoking a cigarette or something. I had like a 2001 Nissan Ultima. We had so many memories in that car. And I just have such a vivid memory of hearing that song in the car. And then I bought the CD and like us listening to it all the time in the car and seeing women express emotions that aren't, you know, the normal, like, ah, you know, how are you? Like, I'm a woman and I'm so nice and delicate. It's amazing to see women be vulnerable and let, their ugly, you know, quote unquote, ugly emotions out. Some other bands that I like change me, Kitty. Like The Breeders, another band that changed my life forever was The Sundays, another female-fronted band. Did you uh, get into the Riot Girl stuff? Oh, I absolutely loved the Riot Girl stuff because then another pivotal moment, I think I talked about this when people always ask me, I tell the same story, but it really was a pivotal moment for me. That Taylor Swift concert, that Veruca Salt album, and then this story, I was in college i went to college for a little bit even though i knew that i just wanted to be in a band and not be in college and i was like waiting in between my classes for the next one to come up or whatever 
And I saw like a in the sidebar recommended was the punk singer documentary about Kathleen Hanna's life. And I had listened to Bikini Kill already for like a few years, but I had never like seen that video. I watched that movie like in between classes, like that's all I want to do. I don't want to do anything else. That is exactly what I want to do. Watching her like and everything that she went through to make the space for girls like me to feel safe in a rock environment and in that genre changed my life. You're the third or fourth person on the podcast to say that the punk singer documentary (laughs) inspired them like that. That's pretty cool. There's other folks out there. Kathleen Hannah, I hope she knows like what she has done for girls in rock music. She changed everything. And I thank her. I couldn't thank her enough. If I could thank her in person, I would. I hope one day I can. (laughs) Getting letters from folks about your songs, you know that people are out there listening and being inspired by you and being empowered by your songs. How does that feel? It is the driving force behind like why, because, you know, being an artist is such a, it's such a weird experience. You are constantly like having to create and make things and put out. And then when you can't, you feel so worthless in a way. You feel like so unproductive. Like when I get in writing ruts, like I feel terrible. I hate it so much. And, but then I think about that when I finally like get over those and I get out and I put my music out and I put my feelings out, people reach out to me and send me, like I get these long messages about people being like, your song changed my life. It helped me feel less alone. Like that is all I ever want really, because that is what everybody else has done for me. Every other musician who has touched me has done for me. So it's my job as a musician to do the same thing for other people. And it's my job to continue to put out and to continue to express myself. Even when I feel like I can't, like I have to, because I want, I want to help people in that way. I want, I love helping people and I think that being a musician and being able to touch people in that way is so special. And a lot of people can't say that they do that. So I just feel really lucky. There's a lot of pressure for creative people to keep going. I think self-imposed pressure. Sometimes I wish I could just slow down and, and see what's around me and enjoy what's around me, but I'm always pushing to do something else and what's next, what's next, what's next. Yeah, I literally have been feeling that way like a week. <laughs> like <laughs> I feel I feel that way all the time. Like whenever I finish something, I'm like, okay, what's the next thing? But that's what you have to take when you're like an artist and a creative is you always have to just keep going no matter how much you want to stop. And I think that's the best advice anybody could ever give anybody is like you just have to, you got to push through. And it sucks. But once you're on the other side, it's so worth it. How do you do that? Oh my goodness. Lots of, (laughs) lots of uh, candles and incense and low lighting, my cat, maybe like a seltzer, anything, you know, I try to make my songwriting environments comfortable. I try to make sure I have everything I need around me at all times. And I just sit for like hours and I just work until I figure something out. Sometimes I don't always figure things out. Like sometimes I fail. A lot of the times I do, (laughs) but (laughs) I just do that process on repeat. Sometimes I'll play guitar on the other side of my room, maybe on the other couch, just to freshen up the headspace a little bit. <laughs> you talked about how your songs are often like diary entries or like letting out dark moments, perhaps, or letting out memories. And when those things come out, 
what happens? What's the feeling that you get? Or is there a result of that from you emotionally? It almost feels like it's like just getting pulled out of my head, the weight and the stress, and it just gets pulled out. And I feel like I can breathe and I can just like relax. And I hate going through struggling and I hate going through negative emotions. I'm very intense with my feelings and I have a lot of feelings always. I've just always been like that. And it's taken me a really long time to accept that about myself because, you know, whenever you're sensitive or overly emotional, quote unquote, people call you like sensitive and stuff. But the older I've gotten, the more I've sat with those emotions and figured out how to feel comfortable with them and surrounded myself with people who know that's how I am and they don't want me to change, you know? Yeah, lots of support. Yeah. Do you still beat yourself up a lot? No, not really. I, um, especially I started going to therapy last year and I have this really amazing therapist and she really helped me like be comfortable with myself and my emotions for like the first time in my life. I'm sensitive and that is like, okay, that's an amazing trait to have. A lot of people don't have that. (laughs) And a lot of sensitive people create a lot of beautiful things. And musicians and artists are emotional creatures that are all over the place all the time. And that's how I am. And I don't even care anymore. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of people in the music scene, especially in the punk scene, embrace the terms like weirdo. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. A lot of people that are into this music are creative people, artists even, when they are young and when they're in school and when they're growing up and they're very much, in a lot of cases, pushed to the side and pushed away by, call it mainstream society. And then as they grow, they get more and more cool and more and more cool like in the eyes of others. It's always reverse. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, a lot of us are like, how did we get through those early years? Of, yes. Especially someone like me who lives with bipolar. What did I do to get through those years? And then now that I'm an adult, relatively stable... How did I get here? You should be proud. Look at you. (laughs) (laughs) I was setting myself up for a compliment there. (laughs) Getting back to the empowerment and the feelings that you had when you first heard the music and the empowerment it gave you, and then now giving other folks those same feelings, perhaps, is it easy to handle? Are you feeling like it's, because I would imagine it'd be a bit overwhelming to know that people are out there being so inspired by your stuff. Yeah, sometimes... Like, I never thought, like, 19-year-old me writing those lyrics of flowers in my garden in my bedroom in my parents' basement on a Tuesday would push me to be where I am now. And it sometimes it is really overwhelming dealing with the pressure of it, but I think it's just because I've never seen myself as somebody who deserves anything like that. But I do, you know? <laughs> like, it, it, you just have to, like, think about it in a different way. It's weird. It's when you meet people that like know the lyrics to your songs or like come up to you. Like I, I'll never forget this interaction I had. I was in Detroit, Michigan, and I met these two girls and they came up to me and they were like, we've been fans of you for so long. We never see brown girls up on stage, like making rock music. It is so cool. And that touched my soul. I was like, this is exactly what I want. I want to be in these spaces with people and I want other girls who look like me to feel welcomed and to feel like they could be expressive no matter where they come from, you know? Have you had people be very personal about your song lyrics and maybe affecting their own mental health, their own struggles through the years? You mentioned before about the I Want to Throw Up song and how that's really helped some folks with their mental health and their eating disorders. 
I've had people reach out and say like the flowers in my garden song. I think a lot of people think that song is about like a relationship with a guy. And that song is actually just about like friendship breakup, the pain of, I have never been through anything more painful than friendship breakup. To me, like every other breakup I've been through has never been as bad as long-term friendship breakup because you like become so connected as one. And that song is just about like, knowing when to walk away and knowing when it's enough and it's okay to move on and not be friends with this person anymore. And I remember somebody messaged me and they said that that song just helped them feel less alone. And there's so many little things that people say, and I don't even know what to say sometimes. I always reply. I try to reply to everybody always. <laughs> A lot of people with self-harming pass and dealing with self-harm ongoing have pervasive thoughts about it. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, I do have pervasive thoughts about self-harm. I'm able to, for the most part, keep on top of it. What's your relationship to self-harm now that you've come out the other side and that you're more healthy? I feel like anybody who has struggled with self-harm can always attest to this. It's always going to be that thing that's kind of just like in the back of your head stressed out and I'm just like not in a good mood and just getting in a really dark place and my brain like still goes there it does I know that I deserve more my body deserves more and I know there's other things that I can do like go on a walk cuddle my cats write some music there's other things that I can do I can exercise exercise really helps me too with the self-harm that's one of the biggest things that's really helped me get away from that is keeping active and moving all the time. Just getting my blood pumping and getting my brain distracted with something else. But it's always there. And I, I think it's probably always going to be there. But I trust myself enough to be stronger than, you know, sometimes you just got to beat your brain. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go back to when you were younger and at the height of your self-harming, the most intense times around that, what would you tell yourself? Sometimes I look at pictures of myself during that time when I'm feeling sad, my face and my eyes, and I can see like how much pain I'm in. It's heartbreaking. Like if I could go back, I would like take myself by both my shoulders and just shake her so hard and tell her that she has such an amazing future and life ahead of herself. I live by myself and I pay my own bills now and I get to play music in a band and I have cats. I never ever thought when I was in that place that I would ever have what I have now. So I would go back and beat her up. <laughs> Tell her to cut it out. <laughs>
That was my conversation with Yasmin Nur. Yasminnur.bandcamp.com. For more episodes of Screen Therapy, go to ScreenTherapyHQ.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Big news, the Screen Therapy book is available now. Screen Therapy, a punk journey through mental health, tells my story and the stories of others who use punk as a catalyst for mental health. Like this podcast, it links the community-minded punk scene with the mental wellness of the punks who belong to it. To order the book, go to ScreenTherapyHQ.com. For merch, check out the newly opened store at ScreenTherapyHQ.com store. And for even more designs, check out Screen Therapy on TeePublic. Okay, enough promoting. It's time for some thanking. Thank you for listening to Screen Therapy. Doing this podcast and talking to folks about punk rock and mental health has been a crucial part of my own mental stability, and it means so much to me that you're out there listening. Screen Therapy is created in the Cathet region of coastal British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional territory of the Klahaman Nation. Contact me at ScreenTherapyHQ.com or email me at ScreenTherapyPodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Let's talk about punk rock and mental health. Until next time, take care and be well.